0: The call to worship this morning is found in Psalms 121, verse 1 through 8, and I will be reading from the New International Version. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at night, at your right hand, excuse me. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. Amen. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading can be found in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 12. There is an occasion for everything, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones. A time to search, and a time to count as lost. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, and a time to sew. A time to be silent, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but man cannot discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life.
1: New Testament readings are taken from the book of Galatians chapter four, verses one through seven, and the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses six through eight. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that they, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So that we may boldly say THE LORD IS MY HELPER, AND I WILL NOT FEAR WHAT MAN SHALL DO UNTO ME. REMEMBER THEM WHICH HAVE THE RULE OVER YOU, WHO HAVE SPOKEN UNTO YOU THE WORD OF GOD, WHOSE FAITH FOLLOW, CONSIDERING THE END OF THEIR CONVERSATION. JESUS CHRIST, THE SAME YESTERDAY, TODAY, AND FOREVER. AMEN.
0: Amen.
2: I WANT TO THANK ALL THE PARTICIPANTS, PARTICULARLY THE READERS. Amen. EXCELLENT JOB. So what did you think about that selection of, of texts from this morning? Did you hear a theme running through them? Time. God's time. Protection, love, commitment, willingness, challenge. A story. a gift. Your gift from God. Did you hear the, those elements? Well, if you didn't, we're going to cover some more, some more of those. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and graciousness. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, for salvation, for the opportunity to be a partner with you in sharing the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you have not forgotten us, that you never forget that you have thought about us and cared for us since before the world was created, there was a plan. You held our hand, and you're ready to receive. Be with us today as we take a journey through yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. Buckle your seats. We're gonna go through about a hundred years before 1215. How's that? All right. Amen. Hope I can keep that promise. Don't you? Maybe sooner. Psalm 121. God's everlasting assurance and hope, and God's leading and guidance and protection. Galatians 4. God has a plan for everyone. A plan to bring you from slave to son, from slave to daughter, from slave to friend, from slave to freedom. Hebrews 13 God has a plan that's sufficient for you and for me. And it's special for you, it's unique for you, and it's unique for me. Our journeys. Are different. Our goal is the same. God understands you. He understands your need. He understands your desires. He understands your hardships. And therefore he customizes your journey for you. He sends to you the needs that are necessary for a point in time because there is a time in God's plan. God's challenge to us is really, are we willing to be part of this journey? Today is my story. I hope you don't get bored. There may be names you recognize or new names you hear. There may be some silliness. There are some things I will talk about today that I haven't said to this many people in my whole life, much less at one time. But it's a story of my journey and how I believe God came to me in my time, at the right time. And I would encourage you to look at your yesterdays, to look at your todays, and to consider your tomorrows and see where God has led in your yesterday, in your today, and where you need him for your tomorrow. We read Ecclesiastes 3 this morning, and Solomon points out that God has a plan for everyone. Although we have problems and obstacles and we move in different directions, God, like a mother hen, keeps us in mind and keeps us together. He doesn't want barriers to remain permanent. We all have issues and problems. We come to to times when we're confused. But I know, based on what I've read and what I've experienced, that God has an answer Answer for those things. Timing is important to us. We want things yesterday or today, or we want them now, or we want them here. However, Solomon tells us there is a perfect plan and a perfect time. And Solomon suggests we need to trust in God's time. The beauty of those words God set eternity in the hearts of man. That is a humbling statement. Ingrained in me is the concept of eternity. And God set that in me and in you because he desires to spend eternity with you. He set in us a spiritual thirst. He set in us a desire to meet Christ daily. A desire to share the joy of salvation with others. And God wants people to help him with this work. Genesis chapter 12, wasn't one of our scriptures, but that's okay. I couldn't have all of them read. Is Abraham's promise. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, verse one, your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. What is that? It's more than a promise, right? It is a promise. It's a promise of a people, but there's a reason God made the promise to people is because he needs people to help him in his work. That's why the promise is there. Do you believe that?
1: Amen.
2: If he didn't need to have people and a great nation and people who understood him or wanted to allow him to live through them, he could have done it all himself. He didn't have to say, hey, just take off, man. Do your thing right i'll take care of things no he desires people and he set forth a timeline to have that happen now it didn't happen right away right the great nation abraham isaac jacob joseph moses david isaiah john the baptist paul Time kept marching on. But God kept working with people, looking for people who would work with him to bring the everlasting gospel to others, to live a life that reflected his character. How many yesterdays, how many todays, and how many tomorrows? Well, I was thinking about Abraham's promise and I started wondering, God has a promise. God promises me, and He promises you, we can have eternal life. He sought us, and He made that promise trust, faith, love, and then the challenge willingness. In John, Chapter three is that promise. We know John three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only Son. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will come into light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. It's clear to me that God again is saying, I need you to be in the light because you then will reflect light to others. The invitation is to us. The promise is for us and for others. Do you believe that?
1: Amen.
2: He will do whatever it takes to bring opportunity to claim this promise to every individual. He uses leaders. He uses discipline and miracles. So these things are rolling around in my head. And I began to research how the gospel and the good news came to me because I believe it and there's a challenge to share it. Now when Pastor Greg asked me to, if I had time to speak this week, it took me about, two hours to respond. And after that, I said, okay, oh, okay, I'll do it. And then it was too late, right? I can't back up. And I got to thinking, what, what, what was that hesitation? What was that hesitation? I've been thinking about this journey of mine and where it came from. Uh, maybe I can share it. Maybe it can be a witness. Maybe it can be a testimony. Maybe a burden, I don't know but I wanted to share my story of yesterday, today, and tomorrow with you. Yours may be similar or different, but rest assured, the promise made in John 3 to you is real. Everyone has a journey of today and tomorrow. Where does my story begin? Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms and with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise and his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves, we have been redeemed. My journey began before I was here. I believe that God knew me before creation. God's plan to reach my heart starts in two locations in the late 19th century between 1888 and 1899 with the witness of one individual assisting two persons in two locations thousands of miles apart. I want to share those two journeys with you. A weave of yesterdays coming together to create an opportunity for the Holy Spirit's work to be answered in a most wonderful, beautiful, challenging way. In a way that changed lives, changing tomorrows, and changing forevers. Be patient as I go over these two journeys. You may recognize some names. You'll hear some history, you'll hear some facts. You'll listen and hear how God directed the lives of others where they convened together for some, no reason at all. Actions that took place a century ago that I believe led to God's calling to me. Some names may be familiar, some not how God led different people in different locations and created an invitation that day for others tomorrow. Journey one. Percy T. McGann was born in Ireland and was sent by his father to the United States in 1886 to learn ranching. He wanted to grow crops. While on a Nebraska farm, McGann made contact with a young family and later accepted their invitation to go to tent meetings. How many of you have ever been to a tent meeting? There's still a few, good. I've been to too many. The wood floor, the sawdust floor, the dirt floor, the grass floor. i seen them all. The pole tents, the air tents. They were exciting actually. For two weeks he attended every meeting and as a result was baptized a Seventh-day Adventist at the age of 18. In October of 1888, McGann attended the General Conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota. There he met a woman, Ellen White, for the first time. Following the Minneapolis meeting, Ellen White returned to Battle Creek And she learned of McGann's experience and his excitement and his need need for assistance, so she invited McGann to come live with her in her home. Mrs. White soon won McGann's heart, and he listened as she explained Bible doctrines, including righteousness by faith. Now remember, he'd been baptized already, He accepted Jesus as his Savior. Does that make sense? But here, he's still talking and learning about the good news in more detail. They studied and talked about righteousness by faith, the history of the Advent movement, the place of the Holy Spirit, the place of prophecy among Adventists, the sanctuary service, Christ's atonement for sin, his spilled blood and salvation, and the three angels' message of Revelation 14. McGann caught a vision of a work and a church that needed to fulfill the great commission given by Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. McGann gave up growing crops and he became a preacher and an evangelist. He set out to harvest souls for Christ, rather than harvesting crops for profit. After working as a licensed minister for a while, he attended school in Battle Creek, from which he later graduated. In 1889, he accompanied missionary Stephen Haskell as his secretary on a round-the-world trip. Their goal, search for new mission opportunities. From then on, McGann's life was in constant motion. On his return to Battle Creek, from his tour around the world, he became Secretary of the Foreign Mission Board and the head of the Bible and History Department at the college. He helped move the school to Berrien Springs, Michigan. McGann became Dean of Emanuel Missionary College, now known as Andrews University and shortly thereafter co-founded Nashville Agricultural and Normal Institute, later known as Madison College. He took the medical course in Nashville and soon after was elected Dean of the College of Medical Evangelists in California, known as Loma Linda University Medical Center. McGann, this Irishman, once learning to grow crops for profit, now a physician taking the lead in God's work focused on the lives of others. He was a man of the hour. It was time on God's time clock for the educational work of the Adventist church to come to age. The doctrinal foundation of a well-developed theology was secure. The Adventist church had been organized the publishing work had grown, the health work was making strides, and now it was time to focus on the education of the youth to prepare workers for all these established fields of the church work. McGann was tireless in his work for God and the advancement of the gospel of Christ. Through his medical ministry he touched thousands of lives by introducing them to health and healing with a touch of the gospel. Dr. McGann was asked to accept administrative duties in Los Angeles. It was hoped that he would be able to raise money for the operation of the school. In fact, even his own salary of $23 a week was dependent on him raising the money necessary. Therefore, he was asked to join the faculty on condition that he meet his own expenses in the work. History shows that within a few years he had raised many thousands of dollars for the school, of which his salary was a small part. Besides raising money, Dr. McGann established many contacts with various medical schools and training facilities. Within a short time, the Adventist school was raised to a B-level accreditation and later to an A-level accreditation. Today, that school, Loma Linda University, is respected around the world For both its philosophy of wholeness, its clinical education opportunities, and the uniqueness of its health focus. In 1993, Wellesley Percy McGann was born to Dr. McGann. He was raised with the same high Christian standards and was taught the value of the gospel of Christ. Wellesley followed his father's footsteps and became a physician, graduating with his medical degree in 1918. He set up his medical practice in East Los Angeles and became the founder of the McGann Clinic, still in operation in Covina. Later, his father, a true servant of the people, encouraged him to continue giving to others regardless of their abilities to pay. His love for Christ was obvious for all his patients. His purpose, like his father's, was to provide health and healing with a touch of the gospel to every patient. One of his patients was a lady named Beulah Hinkle. Beulah was pregnant with her third child, a surprise child as the first two were already teenagers. The pregnancy was difficult, however, Dr. McGann gave special attention to Beulah's needs. In 1922, Beulah gave birth to a beautiful boy. So impressed with the care and love shown by this Christian doctor, Beulah and her husband, John, gave their son the name Milton McGann Hinkle. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) So now you know the truth. You know my middle name. I will tell you that uh, even my boys were not privileged to that information when they grew up. And in fact, as they entered academy, it became of interest to them and to their friends. For more than five years, they tried to search and find out what my middle name was. That stupid internet. <laughs> For a $5 fee, one night in a dormitory at PUC, the boys spent hours researching and they found my middle and could not wait to all tell me they knew my middle name McGann. It's, you know, it's not as bad as a boy named Sue. But there's a lot of, you know, when you're growing up, you just, Megan? Maggie? Well, it's out. And again, more people know now than have known in the past. My father. An amazing journey. Set dozens and dozens decades before centered on the gospel of Christ this journey of yesterday's was ignited by Ellen White and carried through by the power of the Holy Spirit using Dr. McGann to influence my grandparents in realizing there's something special about people who are Christ-centered, and I carry that name with me today. But I promised you two journeys. After all, I wouldn't be here if there weren't two, right? Journey two, Colorado, late 19th century, around 1895, Ellen White was making trips back and forth from California to Battle Creek, Michigan on a regular basis. There was much work to be done, had to help the Adventist church grow, its schools, medical facilities in Colorado, in uh, in Central California, Southern California, Battle Creek, keeping things going. The gospel of Christ was to go to all the world, and her focus was assisting God with preparing people who were Christ-centered in order to continue delivering the gospel message. On one of these trips, Ellen White frequently stopped in Colorado. She had a niece there who was often sick and it gave her a chance to continue uh, meeting with her and growing the uh, gospel message in healthcare in Boulder and Denver area. Medical and education facilities were being developed and her guidance was needed. On one of her stays, Ellen White was invited by a local Adventist to assist her in giving Bible studies to a young family by the name of Miller. Amelia Miller, the wife and mother, was receiving Bible studies, and the Holy Spirit was working hard on her heart. She had a large family, a family of five. May, Jim, Mary, Alice, and Francis. Ellen White joined and led the Bible study with Amelia and her family for a period of several days. At the end of the study, Amelia gave her life to Christ and was baptized. Another Christian home was born. In the early 1900s, the Miller family moved to California, as did many others from this nation and the nation to be, and they came to California in pursuit of a better standard of living. At least there were more jobs in California than in any other part of the country. The Miller family, interestingly enough, settled in East Los Angeles, and Amelia began attending the local Adventist church, the Dittman Street Church. As it happens, some families, as it happens with some families, the Christian life experience was not deeply enjoyed by Amelia's children. For the most part, all her children, all five, wandered away from their mother's first love and established lives and families without a Christian focus. Churchgoers on holidays, for sure, but they did not have a daily walk with God. Such was the path chosen by one of her daughters, Alice. Alice married Harold Welliver, and in 1928, they gave birth to a beautiful auburn-haired child who they named Helen Amelia Welliver. Within a few years, Harold and Alice had separated and eventually divorced. Helen continued living with her mother Alice, But most every weekend and many summers, Helen was sent to her grandmother Amelia's home. Amelia, continuing to keep her relationship strong with Christ, attended, still attended the Dittman Street Church in East Los Angeles. Friday night to Sunday with Grandma was enjoyable. In fact, all the time that Helen spent with Grandma was enjoyable. I get to see that now. I get to see grandchildren cry when they have to leave grandmas. They don't wanna leave grandmas. I'm even glad I am at grandmas. <laughs> Helen was sent to grandmas with the knowledge that grandma went to church every Sabbath. Grandma had daily worship and daily Bible reading. She was known as a woman of prayer, a prayer warrior, to be sure. Helen describes her grandmother's prayers as complete only when every love of her life was remembered. Every love of her life, and that included her granddaughter, Helen. In other words, they were long prayers. It's a different way of saying it. Helen's mother would send her to grandma's house every weekend with a quarter wrapped in a handkerchief and tucked in. Can't lose the money because she knew that there would be an offering taken at church. Helen loved church and the friends she made there. Helen would bring her offering but hide it so that no one could see what she was putting in the basket. She had a quarter and a quarter was a lot of money then. She didn't want people to think she was from a rich home. She wanted to be part of the group. One of Helen's most vivid memories was the kindergarten Sabbath school. The teacher had a table set up like the Sea of Galilee. And so you can picture the sandy shore and the nearby hill, but most striking was the visual of a blue mirror on the table. And as Helen looked over and saw her reflection in the blue mirror, she thought about Jesus walking on the water to her. Such were the instructions by her teacher. Years of care and prayer by grandmother helped Helen develop a strong love for God. Helen grew but never became a member of any church. She felt accepted and valued. Helen remembers this as the great witness of the gospel of Christ by those church members. She never forgot the teachings and kept a strong desire to live a Christ-like life. Through the love of one Christian and the love and encouragement of Ellen White, Helen's grandmother faithfully lived as a witness to God's love and acceptance. Helen let these thoughts guide her actions throughout the tomorrows of her life. So here, those are two journeys, two separate journeys apart, yet having a common yesterday connection with Adventist Christianity, a common connection with Ellen White, a common connection with those who understood their role as a witness to, the, to others with the gospel of Christ. Each having an internal and eternal need for something to refresh their tomorrows. So now, yesterday's journeys must intersect. Right? Right? I'm almost there, don't worry. God is, sees me now. He's, he sees I'm not too far away as these journeys connect. Post World War II was a growth and expansion time for the country. Thousands of soldiers returning to their homes to start lives, some finding jobs right away, others, nothing to do but go back to school and to college. That was the story for returning Navy corpsmen Milton McGann Hinkle. Besides that, it could be a place to meet a special girl. (coughs) For girls, employment was limited and college was essential for any girl desiring advanced employment. It was also a place where one could meet a nice guy. For Helen Amelia Welliver, college was the answer to making new tomorrows. Both Milton and Helen found themselves attending East Los Angeles Junior College. As it was for every student, economics class was mandatory. However, with the large influx of students, there was a shortage of books. Just not enough to go around. What were the teacher's instructions? Find a study partner and share a book. Milton had a book, so he looked around for a study partner to share it with. He saw a pretty, auburn-haired girl that caught his eye. Problem was, she had a book to share too. (laughs) Quick, what do I do? Milton walked over to another student and said, here, take this book, I have a study partner. (laughs) And then walked over to that pretty, auburn-haired girl and said, hi, my name's Milton and I'd like to be your study partner. Fate? Strategy? (laughs) Chance? Destiny? Spirit-guided? You call it. It was the beginning of the todays and tomorrows for Milton McGann Hinkle and Helen Amelia Welliver, soon to be Hinkle. God's plan has reached its time All the yesterdays have brought these two together. I imagine God said, "'Today I will begin to make all your tomorrows "'a walk with me.'" Milton and Helen were married and set up home in East Los Angeles area. Pretty boring, huh? They both worked for a time, Milton with the Santa Fe Railroad and Helen at downtown Bullock's store. Soon children arrived. Milton and Helen and family We're a typical 50s family. Three children, two boys and a girl. Milton Jr., you figured that out. My brother Carl, my sister Elaine. Father working on the railroad all the live long day. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) Mother caring for children, getting them to school. My heroes then were Davy Crockett, I had mandatory coonskin hat. I have pictures. And the Lone Ranger, because I supported a two-gun holster. My friends only had one gun, single holster. I had two. My mother called me. Well, you may find this hard to believe, but I was a little chubby guy. My mother called me Two-Gun Goody. I don't know where that came from. But my mother felt a void. The joy she once experienced with her grandmother, Amelia, and at her home, a happiness she once felt with the people of the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Dittman Street, just wasn't there in the home. So with these yesterdays in mind, she thought how to begin to direct the todays to change the tomorrows. Led by the Holy Spirit, she had an idea. They say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I'm not suggesting my dad was a horse. However, she thought if you turn the water on and let it run, Eventually, that horse is going to get a drink. (laughs) The world tomorrow. Have you heard those words before? Yes. Oh, I think some of you with gray hair may have heard those. The world tomorrow with Herbert W. Armstrong. There was an idea. Radio evangelism. Every night, as they went to bed, the radio played. The World Tomorrow. Herbert W. Armstrong played on the radio. Continuous message of God's, that God is ready to save the world, rang out day and night. It was, wasn't long before my father was asking himself questions and searching for answers. He heard the message from the popular radio evangelist. Saturday was God's Sabbath. It's a day of worship. Interesting, he thought. Dietary prohibitions and healthful living, he heard. Interesting. A coming savior is near. Interesting. Over and over, week after week, these messages rang in my father's ear. He was typical. Work, out with the guys. Have some hooch. Nice... Pack of cigarettes in his pocket. Living the life. It's good. It's the 50s. Thank you for progressing. One morning, I went out of my home to see my father lying on the ground outside the car. I thought he was dead. When went in the house crying. Daddy's dead on the driveway. My mother went out and, of course, found him passed out, drunk, on the ground. She woke him up and helped him inside. It was my reaction to, my, to this event and my mother's description and counsel to my father that shook my father to the bones. What was he doing with his life? Was this a push from God? I would say it was more like a slap in the head. Whatever it was, A change occurred. A heart became soft. A willingness to listen and to change occurred. I imagine God said, it is time today. I will bring together all the yesterdays and change the tomorrows for this family. A knock at the door, my father answers. There is a visitor with an invitation to a vacation Bible school for kids in the house. And it was at a church that worshiped
0: on Saturday.
2: Hmm, that was interesting. The next week I found myself attending a vacation Bible school at the local Adventist church. Believe it or not, I enjoyed it. Second thoughts did enter my mind though when time went by and the Bible studies took place in my home and my mother and father told me that my guns were to be thrown away. I was to meet a new hero called Jesus. Nevertheless, my family was brought, brought in to know Jesus Christ and the salvation he brings. My mother and father were baptized of both water and spirit. At age 10, I gave my heart to God. So these were the beginnings of my new tomorrows, all the yesterdays coming together in a mysterious and most miraculous way. I believe God intervenes when necessary with events of yesterdays to influence decisions and changes lives. In my yesterday, there were individuals like Ellen White, neighbors to great grandparents, and Christian doctors who were all led by the Holy Spirit to share the good news, the gospel of Christ. They helped make a difference for my tomorrows. I believe all these seemingly unrelated events of yesterday, and maybe those I don't even know about, have led to my receiving God's call. That idea may be silly to you. Some may even think that's selfish. Those events are just happenings back then. Independent actions, the hundreds of miles apart, influencing and interacting with only those during that period. Maybe directed by God, maybe, but for that time, not for a plan, melt that would lead to you. These events had nothing to do with you, they would say. To that I say, O ye of little faith, do not limit God's design and plans for humanity. Didn't God lead the children of Egypt, children, uh, his chosen out of Egypt after a miraculous series of interactions? Didn't it take centuries for that to happen? Joseph and Moses bringing them to the promised land. Wouldn't God be diligent enough to do the same over a single century for me and for you. The calling to God's family was promised to me before I was born. I know God started so many years ago to weave this tapestry of life so that I could find my Savior. I believe the Apostle Paul when he said, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be his sons and daughters. If you believe Paul, you can trust God with purpose and intentionality that he will direct you. He has directed your yesterdays. He's directing your todays. He has plans for your tomorrows. God has adopted us all as his children. Certainly God is directing our yesterdays, our todays, and our tomorrows so that we can be with him forever. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. Thank you, Lord, for being with us tomorrow. (coughs) Take us forward from this place, Lord. We open our hearts. We are willing to be your light. Let it shine through us for others. May the gospel, the good news be reflected in us so that other others who are in need can have a new tomorrow in Christ's name amen